podcast is a part of Dear Asian Youth, a youth-led magazine aimed towards Asian activism for Asian youth by Asian youth. Follow us on all platforms, Instagram, Twitter, etc. at Dear Asian Youth and at Dear Asian Girl to get updates on all the latest articles, poetry and prose, podcasts, campaigns, and more. Dear Asian Girl, a podcast dedicated to uplift and share Asian girls' stories everywhere. Today we'll be talking about Asian representation in the media with Judy from Diversify Your Narrative. Today, for this episode, we are going to be talking about changing the narrative, Asian representation in media, which I am very excited for, you know, just film nerd things, Mm -hmm. but um, it's going to be fun. I don't know. How do you feel? It's also cool because we have a special guest from Diversify Your Narrative, and they're basically like an organization that really wants to like change the narrative in children's literature about like having more BIPOC people in it, and that's really cool that we're Mm going to have an interview with them later, but... I'm so ready to talk about this because yes. growing up, I've always had this like ideal in my brain in which like I've just grown up with a whitewashed, I guess, sort of book in which I would read like, I don't know if you read these, Fancy Nancy. <gasps> yes. yes. Yeah, I get and it. Then, yeah, yeah. And like, I love Fancy Nancy, don't get me wrong. And like Pinkalicious, I don't know if you ever read Oh those. yeah, Pinkalicious. Oh, that's so, that's a deep memory. Yes. Yeah, I know. I, I get what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. So I was like, okay, and then I grew up, and then I started reading, like, all these books, and, like, Sarah Dessen, like, these romance novels, and I've always been like, okay, the main character's always been white. And then I've seen Nickelodeon, and I've seen Disney Channel, and there's always, like, the token Asian kid, or the token black yeah, token kid, Asian like, kid. In, their, in their shows. Uh, I can't think of one directly. Victorious could be one of them. I mean, like... Yeah. There's like token my like a token minority like there's a token black person always in like every show it's like a black best friend or there's like the Asian nerd like there's they're just like thrown into these stereotypes which is honestly very detrimental I think to like Asian youth and you kind of talk about this like when you mentioned like when you're reading stories as a little kid like I would read like I don't even remember like Junie B Jones like yeah uh, what was it like Ivy and Bean like those type of books I love right Ivy and Bean I don't know I just feel like we need more like representation for Asian youth because especially from a young age because I don't know I'm gonna go off I can talk about this a little bit later but um I think by having representation we can show Asian youth that you can be the main character you can be the main role you can be seen in these higher um academic positions these higher positions of being a doctor being whatever you want to be you can be an artist like whatever it is but we need to see the representation for that from a young age in order to actually believe that we can be there you know yeah It's kind of like, oh, also another big thing. I was watching this huge documentary on Barbie. I don't know. It was like Netflix and it was like the toys that made us. And it was always, there's always been like a tons of backlash towards Barbie because of her, like her aesthetic and how like she's white and how like she has Mm -hmm. like these higher like model standards in which like it's an unattainable body isn't like unattainable Yeah, the beauty standards with it. Yeah. Yeah. And then there's like, I don't really know. Did they have like a like BIPOC Barbie eventually I I don't know when I think it was up in like it was only recently where they had more body inclusive and also like um more BIPOC representation never really saw a representation of me as a Barbie until I was like I want to say 13 14 which was like three years ago yeah, it was when I first saw, like, an actual representative Barbie of, like, other people other than just, like, 
beauty standard, this idealistic representation of what a woman should be or whatever. But only up until recently, I think. I don't know the exact date, though. Yeah. And um, that kind of concludes to, like, what I was going to say about everything is because now when I'm writing or when I'm doing anything, like, creating a story, the back of my mind, it's always like, oh, this person, like, when I make their characteristics, like, oh, this person, the main character is going to be white in my head. And that's, like, the worst thing ever. And I, yes, you you do agree on that? Because, like... Yeah, yeah, I know. I, as someone, like, who likes to create films myself, like, not only, like, watching them I enjoy, but I like to create short films myself, I really have to fight this inner, like, like, it's, I hate to say this, but, like, honestly, like, I don't, I'm sure I'm not the only one, but when I'm creating a film or a story, I really want to emphasize the importance of having like um a minority being the main character and not like just a white person like if i'm storyboarding an idea i'm like oh it's like a story about this girl who's like whatever right Mm -hmm. i immediately assume oh so she's like a white character but no like that's not that's not what we need to represent because this our world is so diverse that we need to be properly representing each individual minority group properly like obviously not like tokenizing them but still giving them a platform and giving these young people who are very easily influenced by media this um understanding that they can still be the main character um Mm -hmm. so i get that like it's not our fault first of all like it's like our inner like um i guess colonization or i don't know what it is exactly but it's just Mm -hmm. a societal thing that makes us from a young age be like oh to be the main character or oh to be pretty you have to be white you have to be skinny you have to have blonde hair have to have blue eyes like things like that so like, I get where you're coming from because it's not something that we're purposely trying to, like, have happen. It's just subconsciously this belief that we have, I think. Yeah, it's probably because we've just grown up and we're, we were, like, surrounded mm-hmm. by, it. like, Hannah Montana and Victoria. Yeah. And it's like, oh, I wanted to look exactly like them. But, like, I am not like that at all. Like, I have black hair. I have brown eyes. I don't, <laughs> I don't have, like, the stereotype of blue eyes and, like, blonde yeah. hair. So I guess I've, I like, growing up, I've always had, like, a battle between that and um, yeah. dealing with, like, my hair and stuff and, like, how my yeah. hair wasn't as, was as different mm-hmm. as, like, other people and stuff like that, mm-hmm. so. Yeah, I completely agree, and I think, like, one thing that I recently realized, this is, like, more of a recent thing that happened to me, but I, like, had a crush on this guy, I thought he was cute, whatever, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, it wasn't, like, a crush, I just thought he was cute, right? Yeah. <laughs> and then he goes, he, t- he was talking to my, my cousin, he was like, I'm not into brown girls. He says that, right? Immediately, I'm like, all right, what the fuck? What the fuck? Did he actually say brown that? Girls? Yeah, he did. He didn't say that to my face. Because, like, if he did, I would have, like, decked him right in the face, you know? Um, mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> but but just him saying that is, like, uh, like when people say, oh, I have a preference. Not a preference. They're like, oh, I like white girls. No, you don't like white girls. That's not a preference. It's just, an, like, an internalized, unrealistic beauty standard that you have that has been put onto you from society from a young age you don't like like you can like white girls you can like you can, whatever right but I don't think having a certain race as a preference is like a preference you know what I mean yeah um, I don't know how to explain this clearly but like I think when people say oh I like white girls it's not because you like white girls it's just because it's like this you like subconscious the like feeling yeah mm-hmm. it's like it's because from from a young age we were taught that the beauty standard the idealistic way that a woman should look or a girl should look and even for guys too is to be white to be like have fair skin to have blue eyes to be skinny to be like or for guys to be strong like whatever it is right um and I think that's very detrimental to young kids 
boys and girls because boys don't see themselves as um as like a lead character like i mean i have a younger brother and he definitely deals with like self-conscious he's very self-conscious and deals with self-image issues because he doesn't see his representation of his ethnicity of his body type of whatever it may be on screen as like the main character or like as the hero or whatever it is you always see like this like Tom Cruise type of guy he's yep. like white he's like built like whatever like this idealistic like standard of whatever beauty is so I think like that ties into so many different um ways in our society because just that experience that I had where this guy was like oh I don't like brown girls you don't like brown girls because you don't see brown girls as beautiful because they're not seen as a beauty standard and I think that's definitely one thing that we need to change and it comes from like changing children's storybooks and changing like media um but yeah, no, that was just one experience that I thought I'd mention is kind of relevant to this. I never really had a specific experience where a person where a person's like, "Oh, I don't I don't like date Asian girls or something like that." But I did have an experience where in terms of like beauty standards and Eurocentric like mm-hmm. even my brothers at times would be like, "Why do you have leg hair?" Or like, "Why is your leg hair I know, like I know. this co- like the color of your hair?" And like that kind of goes to show just like the Eurocentric beauty standards of just having mm-hmm. like no hair on your body. But like typically like at least for my um my ethnicity like being filipino like that's kind of normal to have like at least a lot of body hair like around my surrounding area yeah. and yeah, like completely. the fact that like like i don't like and that's like internalized like hate towards me because like i've just grown up like hating my body hair and i would be like oh my goodness like i have to shave this like every me week in too. order to look me pretty too. like i have to do this i have to do that and like i've never like felt pretty with it like, every yeah. single day I do have it, like, I'm always like, okay, I have to take a shower, and then I'm gonna have to shave. Shave it, to yeah, that. yeah. No, mm-hmm. I think that's one of my biggest, like, insecurities that I'm still fighting to this day is definitely my body hair. Yes. Like, I aspire to have the, like, confidence to just leave it sometimes, you know what I mean? Like, and I think that's, like, as someone who's a feminist, and, like, considers himself to be very progressive about these things and is very body-inclusive, like, praises having body hair, whether you want it or not, I fall apart having like hair and being like conscious about it. Like I have arm hair like right now. Like you can probably see it. But, yeah, like, same. I get self conscious when I go out. I'm like, oh, like I need to like put a sweatshirt on, like whatever, right? Mm-hmm. And it's I think that also goes into like this idea of properly representing women in general. Mm-hmm. Like if you see shaving ads for like razors or whatever, they're like shaving on a clean leg. Like that's not representing <laughs> yeah, exactly. like, people's body is like. like <laughs> you don't I, shave a clean leg. <laughs> I was like, girl, I wish my leg was like that. Like what the fuck? Like just naturally. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. But I like I'm glad you mentioned that because it goes more than just like the color of her skin. It's like having body hair, having differently textured hair is having like differently shaped eyes it's having differently shaped nose it's like it's all these little things that I think we need to like actually really praise and be like if you have a like a more ethnic nose more ethnic features like you're beautiful you really are beautiful and I think that's something that I wish like I heard when I was younger and this is like definitely more personal because like I am very self-conscious about my like nose or like my hair Mm -hmm. um because it's definitely more textured um same yeah and I think that's, like, something that I wish when I was younger I saw someone with, like, a beautiful, like, like beautiful features like this but properly represented as beautiful in media because that would have definitely changed the way I see myself now if I saw that from a young age. Um, so I agree, like, seeing body hair and normalizing it is very, very important. And so growing yeah. up, like, as you've said, as, you, as you've mentioned, like, having that model figure, that inspiration, that, like, 
we should have had when we were younger probably would have boosted my confidence a whole lot more on like who I am and my ethnicity and like my body hair Mm -hmm. and like my features and stuff because like if you like as a kid just seeing that like model figure like showing off being super confident about their self and their body like that inspires you to like be Mm -hmm. like hey like this person's exactly like me and I like I want to envision that because I'm the same ethnicity or something yeah I completely agree because like having like these larger like um I guess influencers or whatever who are like who are similar to the way that like I was as a young as a young kid like that would have influenced me so much confidence wise like Mm -hmm. if I saw like a South Asian or like Asian representation in general more in media and on the media that I consumed like on Disney Channel or whatever I was watching like Nickelodeon yeah exactly I I would have been like wow like this Asian girl this story is like about her like this show is like focusing on her being the main character and I would have felt more like comfortable in my own body and more comfortable with who I was and how I looked and just like things like that so I think that's like very important about media um but I think that's one thing that I also believe this is probably like a different like discussion but I think this Mm -hmm. is kind of relevant um with the importance of media I'm like an avid believer that media is a lot more powerful than laws and policies in government yeah and it's it doesn't seem like it but like I'll just explain real quick under the law we everyone is seen as equal right but no one is being treated equally mm-hmm. black people are being killed in the streets and there's children in ice detention centers right now who are literally being fucking tortured mm-hmm. right so why is it that that is happening but everyone is equal under the law right yeah and i think it's tied into stereotypes in the way that we perceive different minority communities in different um ethnic groups mm-hmm. um so by that i mean like if we were to put a black person as the main character in a show not as someone who like sells drugs or is like or is like a criminal or whatever that would change the narrative of the media that the entire our entire society consumes the reason why these people who um like i guess i don't know how to explain this but like stereotype certain ethnic groups the reason why they stereotype these people is because the media they consume is not Mm -hmm. properly representing um, this group of minorities or these people, like if you were to take South Asians, for example, well, Asians in general, actually, if we, if this tied into like the model minority, with, yeah, like, I was literally like, just going to say everything, that is everything. If Asians, like I, people would not come up to me and be like, oh, you must be good at math because you're Asian. They would not be doing that if I was properly represented in media, if I was seen as mm-hmm. like a beautiful person, the main character, not just a nerdy, geeky person who's like obsessed with like boys or whatever it is, right? whatever the stereotype is for Asians. If I wasn't represented that way, then I I wouldn't be as, I guess, stereotyped in the streets by, like, some random person. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I think media representation is so important. It's just as important as laws and policies to a certain extent because you're actually... Media is... it like I guess it, like, changes the way people perceive other people, if that mm-hmm. makes sense. Media, like, very important. Media, like, creates a narrative and exactly people will listen to it because it's such a high influence like cnn mm-hmm. even fox news like yes the adult caters to like a specific group of people that do want to listen exactly. to it so having that representation will probably in some ways mm-hmm. skew a person's mindset on everything mm-hmm. and like what you've grown up and what you've consumed and what you've listened to for example like nickelodeon <laughs> like um spongebob like <laughs> There have yeah. been statistics where, like, if, if you watch more Spongebob, then you're probably going to get more dumb. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, that's what I've, that's what I've heard, at least. I don't know for sure if that's true, but. 
Yeah. Maybe that's just yeah. brainwashed in me. Because, <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> like, Spongebob's right. so good, so I'm, like, not even mad about it. Yeah. Love that show. Um <laughs> My parents, like, never let me watch Spongebob when I was younger because they thought it was, like, I don't know what. They thought it was, like, fucking inappropriate or really. something. I don't know. I still turned out pretty wild, so. That's a representation didn't... I stand for. Like, there were yeah, so right? many fishes in the sea. Come on. There was plankton. <laughs> there was even a squirrel. Like, come... There was a squirrel. Like, girl, come on. Like. We can do better. The Hollywood industry can do better. Like, fucking Spongebob and its representation. Like, come on. <laughs> I swear. Here, wait. I'm uh, gonna go. Our king. Our, like, diverse king. Yeah. But I totally agree. I think, like, representation goes, like, further than just, like, films, TV shows, um, and, like, and movies and things like that. It's in the news. It's in, like, it's in books. It's in, like, music. It's in everything. So from a young age it's you are very like um I don't know what the word is but everything you consume really has a long-term effect on you mm-hmm. um and maybe that's just common sense and I'm just spitting like things that people already know yeah. <laughs> I think Same. I think that's very important to understand because as we talked about this before like if I saw a woman with like body hair or if I saw a woman with like more ethnic features someone who looked like me on screen when I was younger and they were considered beautiful I would not be as, like, self-conscious as I am today. Yeah. Um, I mean, I guess that's not, like, confirmed, but, like, who knows? Like, I feel like it would have played a large part in it, though. I think you said, like, it was something, like, it was, like, common sense, but, like, sort of, like, ingrained in our memory. But that's also, like, good that you're always bringing it up because there's a certain privilege that, like, white people especially have in which, like, Mm -hmm. their, like, American girl dolls are all white or their main characters are, like, white and stuff. Like, they have that privilege and we don't. So, like, it's good that you did express it. And, like, we're talking about it right now because there's a lot of people that don't understand it. That, like, this is, like, just inherent privilege that you might not know. So, like, you bringing it to the forefront of your mind, like, will help in terms of, like, identifying. No, that's, like, actually a really good point. It makes me feel, like, a lot more reassured that I'm, like, I'm not just, like, random shit. But, yeah, no, you're right. Like, I never realized it that way or looked at it this way. But, like, white people really have this privilege of not having to worry about like worry about having proper representation for their kids on media because they are considered the beauty standard they Mm -hmm. are considered to be like to be like um the main character you know and I think like that's different for minority groups because they have to always subconsciously I mean like minority parents have to subconsciously think about the media that their children are consuming uh, because they're if their children are watching things that are not properly representing representing like their children and like their ethnic group, it's really detrimental to that to the child. You know what I mean? So mm-hmm. I think it's interesting that you bring it up that white people don't even have to worry about like proper representation. I think it's different for like young girls. Maybe for girls it's like different as well. But I think like specifically for the white community that they definitely like don't have to think about that. It's like kind of subconscious in their mind. But like. Mm-hmm the Asian community and I mean by POC in general have to think about things like that and it's kind of wild that they have to yeah and going off on that they also have privilege going into the industry at all like they have Mm -hmm. so many like background checks like they have no background checks on who they are they can like Mm -hmm. go into like an agent and be like hey like I want to play this part and they're like okay cool but like in terms of BIPOC like there's a lot more that goes into it and like that's why at least Asian parents are so hesitant on like having their kids go into this narrative of like the media Mm -hmm. and stuff because like they've seen how it is and how it's mostly like a white culture sort of thing and like Mm -hmm. the job opportunities aren't as high or they won't get paid as much Mm -hmm. 
for sure. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's a good point. Like, it's definitely a white, rich male, well, white male dominated industry, <laughs> yeah. if I'm being completely honest. Um, so it's interesting that you bring that up. Like, I always, like, I brought up the show Hollywood already in our intro episode. Yeah. But I think that, like, does a really good job of explaining that. Like, like obviously, there's struggle to get into the film industry, but if you are a black woman or if you're a person of color, it is, like, ten times harder to get into the industry or any any industry, any field for that matter, than your white counterpart, I think. And, like, in the show Hollywood, for those of you who have watched it, um, it talks about how this black woman only was offered a certain role that specifically fit, in air quotes, the type of person that she was, like, perceived as. Mm-hmm. So this goes into media representation representation like affecting the way people are perceived by like society in general so this black woman was only given the role of being like a servant in the household or whatever and or like um or like a slave or whatever you know what what you you know what i mean like people are only given certain roles based off of the stereotypes that they are perceived as from like in society and from media in general like for asians like there's only certain roles that we are allowed to take on and i think it's definitely changed like currently but like if you look at when Hollywood like, was kind of taking place in, like, Asians were only given a certain role. They were only fit into the stereotype of being nerdy, being smart. You were only the nerdy, smart kid mm-hmm. or, like, the nerdy best friend or whatever. Um, and mm-hmm. I think it's time to change that for sure. But, uh, yeah, no, I think that's definitely, like, kind of wild. <laughs> it's, <laughs> al- it's also crazy, too, because there's, at least in terms of Asians, I've noticed that there's always a select few of, like, actors and actresses that always just get those roles, like, um, Mm -hmm. Constance Wu, that's in, I think, Crazy Rich Asians, or, um, what's, what's his name? Ross Butler, like, he's in, like, two of those teen shows and stuff, and I just find that really Mm -hmm. interesting, like, I don't really know why they do that, or Mm -hmm. I don't know if you have any insight on that. Yeah, no, I actually was talking about this with my mom the other day that there's only like a select few like asian people who are like given these roles like it's not like because like if you think about like hollywood industry in general and you think about white actors there's like so many names that come to my mind like obviously the first being chris evans but um (laughs) other than him there's like so many white actors and actresses that i can just name off the top of my head but if i think about asian actors and southeast asian south asian and like southeast asian actors I can think about, like, three, probably. Yeah. And that's, like, and they're all the only ones who are given, like, roles in, in like, only specific roles. You know what I mean? Like, there's, like you mentioned, Constance Wu. And then there's, um, for South Asian, I can only think of, like, Jamila Jamil, um, yeah. Kamel Nanjiani. And then, like, that's it. Like, how is that's that even possible? It. Like, mm-hmm. And they're only, like, good mind. in, like, one movie or two. That's, like, Yeah, notable. yeah. And they're only, like, they're only given a certain like role too on top of that so I don't know and I think that's interesting that you brought that up Mm -hmm. so today we're also going to be talking with diversify your narrative and we also have our new um, co-podcast host here to go talk with me because Alina was unavailable at the time but um, we're going to be talking with Judy from diversify your narrative and we are so excited because diversify your narrative is basically a campaign and they talk about BIPOC authors that should be more prevalent in our education system. Are you excited? Because I'm excited. Yeah, completely. We're so excited to see what Judy has to say on this issue, what her mission statement is with this, and what she has to offer. Yeah, so here's our interview with Diversify Your Narrative. Mm-hmm. 
hi guys um we have like two new guests on our show well technically she is one of our new co-hosts her name is nina do you want to introduce hi. yourself hi so i'm nana i live in los angeles i'm 14 years old i identify as indian or specifically punjabi and i'm really excited to be here yeah and today we have a really special guest and she's her name is judy and she's from diversify your narrative so judy can you go tell us like what diversify your narrative is about and what you guys do of course hi guys nice to meet you all my name is judy i am a rising freshman at the university of chicago i am the director of education for diversify our narrative um Essentially, Diversify Our Narrative is a campaign to bring anti-racist, diverse texts into the classroom. So we want to work with school boards and district leads and organizers to make sure that our classroom curriculum is diverse and that the people and the authors that we learn from um, are BIPOC authors. And so that way we have a perspective that's very different than the white narrative that you see so often in schools. That's yeah, great. that's super cool because like I saw one of your posts and it was like to kill the mockingbird or something and that one like blew up because of your like you claimed it as like a white savior complex novel which I never realized as myself like growing up I read it and I was I thought like Atticus Fitch was like oh my gosh like he's amazing like I can't believe he did this but now looking back I was like this is such a white savior type of novel that I didn't even realize so it's cool that you guys are doing this and I also didn't know that you're from Chicago. So, well, like, you're going to University of Chicago, which is cool, because I live in Chicago. <laughs> yeah, I'm originally from Los Angeles, and I Hello. identify Chinese-American, so my entire family is Chinese. Um, but yeah, in terms of To Kill a Mockingbird, you know, when we published that post, it got so much backlash, because there were so many people that were saying, well, Atticus Finch is the role model of what it means to be a white ally, and this is what all lawyers should do, and this is what all children should read. And I remember reading it in my eighth grade year, and my white English teacher teaching it to me as a novel in which it explores racism. Um, but you know like five years later i'm looking at it through a different lens and realizing that the white savior complex is very relevant and it exists across a lot of forms of media and not just literature itself yeah in my school for eighth grade we had the option to read either to kill a mockingbird or this other book written by a black book writer and she had this amazing experience about slavery and the slave trade of Ghana and America, and it was a much more raw experience because you put so much research into that, and yet parents still found a way to make it seem problematic, seem like, oh no, it's too much for our children, they won't be able to handle the so-called gruesomeness of it, even though it's a much more real and accurate representation of it. So even just within bias with the readers, but also just people who don't want us to read those books, whether it's the education system, parents, or just people who think we can't handle the true reality. Yeah. yeah for sure. I also recently watched The Help too, and yeah. I didn't even know that was a white savior type of thing, but then the more I look at it, you could see Skeeter, and she's kind of like making herself as a voice for these black people like in in The Help, I guess. And I, like as maybe like eighth grade, I always thought like, oh, this is like just another like type of um, segregation type of movie, like it's kind of cool, but I didn't even realize that like the main character Skeeter is literally putting like her whiteness onto these black people and just like perpetrating as like this strong like female character in reality she's also a white savior and I just didn't sometimes I didn't even know the difference between 
like a the difference between like a white savior and just a person who is an ally i think with just being an ally you can't overshadow the people who are actually being oppressed because you can never speak for their issues like for example you guys posted what well, your asian youth posted about the fox eye trend and there are these people that aren't asian that are like oh no it's not such a big deal why are you guys blowing this up out of proportion but you've never experienced that so you can't necessarily have an opinion about what is oppression to us so yeah i think that's a really important thing for people to hear no i completely agree i think that you know as um like as a member of like the bipoc community the asian community it speaks volumes when you know work written by people from our community is being represented in literature in media in music and stuff like that you know i think the only asian author that i read my entire four years of high school was not even book um not even an article just a short story and i think it was taken from an excerpt of a book uh the joy luck club by amy tan and it's called <laughs> two kinds i'm sure you might be familiar with the short story but it talks about a chinese american girl and her experiences growing up um and wanting to be white with her and talking and working with her Chinese mother and it's just like reading that in my junior year of high school was very emotional for me because I experienced a lot of the things that she experienced growing up and wanting to be white and wanting to conform to the white majority but that's just one Asian author and from a very well-known part of Asia you know there's all these different aspects of Asia Southeast Asia South Asia Southwest Asia and and they're often so overlooked in mainstream media and that's really difficult because when people see asia they just think chinese japanese korean and they just kind of lump all of our ethnicities and cultures into one big homogenous term um and i think that's really harmful in terms of representing our different communities i completely feel you about wanting to conform to white standards like especially with the media where we're always seen as you know the nerdy type or like we always see the white character, the white girl is getting the most happy ending, you know? So I guess I've always wanted to conform to that and have something like that, whether it's conform to beauty standards, like it's a lot of pressure from the media and just literature in general. I was gonna ask a question on how do you think, um, like in terms of if we grew up with having that Asian representation, how do you think that would have shaped like the media and like how we view Asians today? Like if we did have this Asian literature built upon us like as a kid. I agree. Um, answering Genesis's question, um, I think that internally, if Asian Americans were to read literature written by Asian Americans, they would feel as if they have a voice in society and as if their cultures and their experiences and their stories are validated and heard. Um, I think that externally, you know, if it was mainstream to talk about the issues within the Asian community, the fetishization of Asian women, the fox eye trend, you know, all of these issues, cultural appropriation of our clothing and culture and customs. Um, I think if it was more relevant in mainstream media, then these issues would have been brought to light a long time ago, and they would have been dealt with a long time ago. And, you know, people would feel more comfortable talking about, you know, the discrimination against Asian Americans. And the fact that the conversation is happening now is just, you know, it's really good, but at the same time, you know, it, should, it shouldn't it should be in the 21st century that we're talking about, yeah, you know, come Asian American voices for so long. Yeah. Yeah. Growing up, 
I remember like reading books such as like Judy Moody and like Judy <laughs> B. Jones. And of course I would relate to them on some level because I am a girl, but I never related to them fully because she was a white girl and I never really understood like that. So having that Asian representation like long ago in your media would help you embrace your culture more and help you embrace like who you are as an like an Asian girl and like this like all Asian girls surrounding. Then I totally agree with what you said. Yeah, just with intersectionality in general, <clears throat> I came from a predominantly white school who always would focus on feminism, which I agree is a huge issue. Like, we're nowhere near the finish line with the wage gap, abortion laws, etc. But they never really focused on people of color who are also women and people who are just have so much other parts of their identity that are putting them down. And I guess, like you were saying about how you're growing up with those books, I think it's often a narrative that is not exactly addressed. Caitlin and Jasmine, they're two rising uh, rising sophomores at Stanford University. They're the founders. Um, and so, but I'm very good friends with them and we worked a lot closely in high school and we did a bunch of extracurricular activities. Um, so they kind of asked me to join and be director of education and create content. But you know, the reason why I joined and I'm guessing it's along the similar vein of the reason why they decided to create Diversifier Narrative is that they realized the impact that an education can have on a kid. You know, sometimes you see the importance of just one teacher making a difference on life of one student, you know? Yeah. Um, and when you go to college, you get to take all these extraordinary classes about ethnic studies, about race relations, and you get to broaden your view of the world. But when you're in high school, you're confined to just learning from white authors and you're just confined to learning from a white narrative. You know, I never learned about the war on drugs in my A-push class. Yeah, exactly. I never learned about how like mass incarceration has increased exponentially in the last five years or 10 years even. I never learned about the school to prison pipeline. You know, there are these issues that happen in our society that affect so many communities of color every single day, and yet they're not being reflected in our public education system. And so what Diversify you know, wanted to do was to say, why don't we look at our public education system and say, let's do something about the inherent you know, whiteness of our education and our curriculum, and let's bring books written by BIPOC authors for BIPOC people um, and try to, you know, generate some change in these public high schools. So that's where it comes from, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, I think growing up, you are so influenced by the media and like what surrounds you as the media. So like it kind of makes or breaks like who you are. And like, like you said, teachers kind of make or break who you are. Like if you're going to be force fed into a curriculum that is surrounded by white authors and you're going to believe the white savior is a good thing, you're going to believe that school to prison pipeline doesn't exist. Like you're going to believe all these things. And it took me, it's sadly, it took me quarantine and it took me like to see the Black Lives Matter movement for all over my For You page to really read books such as So You Want to Talk About Race and like look at like Black Lives Matter like figures that are like in the media now and it just sucks that it isn't in our public education system so i really like like what the first fire narrative is doing in terms of trying to change that system and trying to like start young because we need that in order for like the next generation to improve themselves because like you said like it's a foundation and like once you start as a kid then it will eventually create your values and create your core beliefs and everything like that so i really like what you guys are doing yeah, and especially with creating those values early on, 
like I've seen mainly this is all from like Instagram because it's such a huge focal point of like activism right now <clears throat> where if you like people are subjected to all these stereotypes where oh black people don't feel as much pain they don't deserve our medication you know and that'll translate into people growing up and becoming doctors and working in the medical field and you'll have a, a black woman in labor without any pain meds and it's just all these stereotypes that can really affect people in so many harmful ways like i saw one that was like oh if you're indian like me and they believe in reincarnation then you're you're supposed to feel pain like that's their belief that you have to feel pain in order to be able to even be a hindu and then for that reason they won't be given medication i saw something like that and i was just like that's i don't believe that whatsoever that's completely horrible so i definitely agree with how a foundation is so crucial yeah, and um, actually, I recently sat in on, you know, a class, and um, this person from Equal Justice Initiative, EJI, which was the organization that Brian Stevenson in the book Just Mercy founded, um, you know, they want to abolish the death penalty and make sure that people on death row um, who are innocent are actually, you know, exonerated from death row. Um, and he was talking about narratives. and. You know, that aligns closely with diversifier narrative. And he was saying how after the civil rights movement, you had the passage of the Voting Rights Act, the Civil Rights Act, you know, after, you know, slavery, you had these 13th, 14th, 15th amendments happen. Um, but even though these laws happened, these laws might have, you know, contributed ex exponentially towards, you know, giving African Americans a voice in America and rights in America. But at the end of the day, the ideologies that ex that ex that have existed, excuse me, <laughs> since you know the birth of America as a country yeah. has not. You know, there are racist people in this country. There are people who will look at you and judge you based on the color of your skin and based on your physical features. I can promise you that you know I've experienced microaggressions because I'm Chinese. You've experienced microaggressions. Genesis has experienced microaggressions. We all have, and. At the end of the day, that's because people have this ideology ingrained deeply in their minds to think of us as other, because anything that's not white is considered other. And so what Diversify is trying to do is to not make it white versus other, and is to just uplift the communities that really need help the most. I think that's a great way of putting it. Wow, yeah. It's cool because you said like, white versus other that kind of sort of relates to like pop culture and how like the, like I've watched a lot of Disney Channel I'm gonna admit it I've watched like <laughs> Hannah Montana I've seen like Austin and Allie I've seen like all those shows and I've grew up like being in love with like Hannah and everything but I never I never really realized until I was older that there was no BIPOC like main characters ever in the show maybe besides Ant Farm and Shake It Up yeah. like Zendaya was really out there but, <laughs> I love it. <laughs> but it just sucks because like growing up and seeing all these characters like I never really fully felt it but like looking back it was like if only I had that main character that was like my ethnicity and stuff then i would fully know how to embrace my culture and like show who i love yeah for me you've probably watched the show jesse and there's that one um character his name is ravi or something it is there are so many things about him that would just really make me uncomfortable and i didn't realize it like they would make fun of him for like i don't know there were like some lines calling him a samosa or like calling him like curry and i never really watched the show much as a kid but now i look back at that and i'm hearing about it i'm just like 
feel really uncomfortable, you know, it just makes me, puts me in a weird position because there's so many people that love Jesse, like, with a burning passion, so I'm just like, oh, there's, like, these really core problems in the show, but I'm just gonna ignore it because it's so mainstream, and I think that's, hap that happens with, like, a lot of BIPOC people. I completely agree. I think even when there's representation from, you know, BIPOC communities in the mainstream media, it's very, I guess, one-dimensional. It's that yeah. they kind of, you know, look at all of the stereotypes that you as like an Asian person or you as like, um, like a black person experience. And then they just whittle you down to a couple of adjectives, a couple of one-liners, and then throw you into the show in the name of diversity, you know, um, this was, this kind of goes back to another post that we did that was like the problems with Huckleberry Finn. That's kind of similar to like the problems with To Kill a Mockingbird was that in To Kill a Mockingbird, um, Tom Robinson, who's the black man who was um, unwrong, wrongfully accused of sexual assault by a white woman, you know, his character was so one dimensional, you know, he didn't serve anything to the plot than to just assist the white characters in driving the plot forward so many times i've seen um you know white actors and actresses dominating the tv screen and you know other people of color are just on the sidelines as you know the side character someone to be the funny at like add a funny ad lib in there and it's just so disheartening because that reflects poorly on the children and the people who watch these tv shows and these movies who think to themselves is that all I'm worth, like, is all I can do in society to serve, you know, my white peers and to be the side character to their main story, you know, so I think that's really concerning. Yeah, and it relates to, as you guys talked about in one of our earlier episodes, model minority myth, where it's created just to make, like, white people seem like, oh, we're so diverse, we're including this minority that would usually, without us, be considered worthless that can never get anywhere without us it just we're serving that purpose and making them seem like oh no we're actually really diverse but instead we're just creating all these crazy expectations on ourselves and really just harming ourselves for their benefit so yeah i think that's something that we can relate to a lot of things with yeah we like want like in terms of being an asian girl like i want a main character that like has yeah. my like conflicts and like my like ideals but at the same time like i want to care main character like fall in love with someone i want a main character to deal with like main character problems and i want them to like show like their problems with like their skin and like their hair texture and like their body hair like all over their body like i want that main character and i've never seen it before ever like especially like in media in america especially and i think that's like something that needs to be addressed but also do you have like any recommendations like books literature that have really like shown in terms of like BIPOC authors artists etc oh yeah for sure let me just pull up our recommended reading list so you know we have um we have the joy luck club which is one of my favorites by amy tan you know yeah. two kinds from that book was the one that I read in my junior year of high school and it really spoke to me um but we also have other books like let me see let me see like front desk by Kelly Yang which is mo most likely for like middle school um parachutes by Kelly Yang American born Chinese we have other ones catfish and mandala um that's like nonfiction, and we have I am Malala by Malala um 
if you check out our recommended reading list on our website, diversifyournarrative.com, there are a plethora of different, you know, books by Asian authors that, you know, try to encapsulate the Asian experience. And, you know, we're well aware that you can't just achieve equality by just reading a couple of books and having a couple of conversations with your friends, you know, this is kind of like the first piece to a much, much, much larger jigsaw puzzle um, of ensuring that our curriculum is diverse and that our narratives are anti-racist in the classroom. Yeah. Um, what do you recommend us as like Asian girls to do for like our school board since I'm a rising senior and I'm a yeah. rising freshman, so I think, yeah. I think definitely what you can do is we have a petition, you know, sign the petition for your state. Um, so for Genesis, it would be Illinois. And then for uh, for Nana, it would be California. Um, and then, you know, you can see actually your school district and you can see how many people in your school district have signed the petition already. Um, and there's also links on our website on how to become more involved on how to be an organizer. And so what an organizer does is that they work with the people in their district um, to create a proposal, a plan to, you know, bring the petition forward to the school board. Um, and to get the school board to approve of having at least one BIPOC book in the English classroom. And so that's kind of what we want to do. Um, we're also, you know, forming a national curriculum on, uh, like a national council, excuse me, on curriculum and allyship. And it's being, you know, led by BIPOC women um, and educators across the country. Um, and so we're trying to get teachers to put their input on how to teach these books in the classroom. Because we also recognize that if you don't teach these books properly, then you know, that could do a lot more harm. You know, I've had so many friends tell me that they've read books written by white authors with black characters who say the N-word, and then these white teachers who are teaching these books will say, you can say the N-word in class, like you can read it out loud, it's totally acceptable because it's written in the book and it should be included in the reading. And so, you know, that's really uncomfortable and that's really not okay. So we wanna make sure those instances yeah don't happen. <laughs> that literally happened to me my freshman really? year during, I think, Adventures of Huckleberry Finn. It was like a white man and we were all sitting down like in our, th in our like chairs and stuff listening yeah. to the book. And then we hear him say the N word. And I, we all look up at each other and like, no one really knows how to respond. Like no one really knew how to call it out because at the time we were kind of like young and we didn't really know what to do. And then he kind of justified it by saying that it was part of the book. Yeah, part of and the whole like, reading so experience. The book. But then one girl, I think, raised her hand like the second time the next day. And then she was like, oh, this is really uncomfortable. Like, you shouldn't be saying this. So then he stopped. But I think like that shouldn't be allowed in general. Like, yeah. they, like even though it's from a book, like, I don't think you have any right to say it. <laughs> yeah, I would have been so uncomfortable. Oh, God. <laughs> I'm just thinking about that. That's just wrong on a lot of levels. Yeah. And I think that, like, a lot of educators who are white, who, you know, are well-read, you know, they are well-educated, but they all have implicit biases. We all have implicit biases. And a lot of the times that reflects itself in the way of teaching. You know, you might not be teaching racist content, but you could be teaching content from, like, 
a racist perspective. Does that make sense? So it's like you could be teaching about the war on drugs. And instead of saying, you know, this systematically targeted communities of color and, you know, made it so that like a lot of black communities had issues with police and law enforcement instead of teaching it that way instead of looking at the new jim crow by michelle alexander and reading her book and her book and her writings you know a lot of people will teach it as just you know like a lot of people had drugs in america and we wanted to make sure that these drug criminals were out you know there's two different ways of formatting the narrative and one is the correct way and another way is very very you know racist and even though you're teaching the same the same content you know the same overarching issue on the war on drugs you're looking at it from two completely different perspectives yeah that definitely comes with the teachers as well because like you said it came from like two different perspectives so i remember in my school at least there were like there was one teacher that would just tell it how it is like tell the facts and then there was another person that put like their implicit bias and stuff like that so i think that definitely needs to be addressed in terms of the board of education and how like in terms of history they need to be taught like it needs to be i don't know for sure how it needs to be taught but i know that it needs to just like be told like everything because i remember also reading in my amsco book i don't know if you read it too but we would have this like one just page of just women um black people and then like native americans and then that was it and then that would be the end of the chapter but then you would have a whole page two pages dedicated to andrew jackson and like his genocide like on the native americans and i swear we used to learn more about a man who killed native americans more than the genocide itself what that needs to be changed (laughs) i agree yeah like, wow. even in the media, like, I'm sure you guys have all heard of or watched Pocahontas. Like, that's such a big thing with so many things that are so historically inaccurate. But it's just another white savior movie where it's just like, oh, John Smith wasn't as bad. They really literally romanticized it. And, like, they had this loving relationship. It wasn't full of war or anything. Like, I've seen people who are, who are defending it because, oh, no, it's saying that, like, all humans, you know, we're the same people, you know. There shouldn't just be war. We should just... Like, the Native Americans and white colonists should have just made peace. It wasn't that simple. They literally brought genocides onto them, and it's just really changing the narrative completely. Yeah, I completely agree. It's like, we were learning about, um, I remember my English class, we were learning about the 1970s, and, you know, the 1970s was a huge time for women and, like, um, feminism and stuff like that. And I just remember in this, like, whole chapter about Ronald Reagan and all of his accomplishments, there was, like two paragraphs at the end that was like women and like minorities that is not okay like mm-hmm. that can't happen you know you know for all the people of color sitting in that classroom waiting to be like okay so when is my story going to be told for all the women going to be like sitting in the classroom being like okay so when when am i going when am i going to be introduced um in the textbook and to have their narratives be condensed to two paragraphs at the end of a chapter is is just a reflection on how little value we have to the white majority america i guess yeah yeah last question because i think i'm running out of yeah 10 minutes (laughs) so um The last question that I typically ask people, like when in terms of our guests, is what advice do you give to Asian girls out there that are listening to this podcast and especially about your narrative and like diversify your narrative? 
Ooh, that's a that's a really good question. Um, I think it's that. I guess you. I guess I would say to know your worth as an Asian American girl, as someone who has experienced a lot of microaggressions, a lot of you know fetishizations, a lot of issues regarding what you look like and the color of your skin, and a lot of people you know making fun of your culture. I mean. Despite all of that, I think it's really important to know your worth, and I think it's important to know that there are a lot of other Asian girls listening to this podcast right now, going through the exact same issues right now, and that I think we should all stand united against this issue. Um, and you know, in terms of diversify our narrative, you can sign our petitions, and most importantly. Read our books and know that your voices and your experiences will be reflected in the books that we recommend on our recommended reading list. You will feel as if your worth not only exists, but that it's very much so validated. And I think that understanding is more important than anything, honestly. So that's my little, you know, spiel and <laughs> wisdom that I impart on you all. So yeah, I think that was great. Thank yeah. You. That was such good advice. Yeah. If Thank you so much for joining us. <laughs> of course. Thank you for having me. Yeah, I love to. Yeah. Thank you. so that was really cool that we talked with judy from diversify your narrative she was so fun to talk about and we just had like a lot of things to spill we like yeah it was crazy 100 i know just i think we got a lot of stuff out of that so i just really hope the audience can get something from it too and hopefully like analyze the curriculum with more criticism yeah i learned a lot from judy and just how <laughs> like how our like education system should be more founded by by pop yeah. authors and how like it's so detrimental to a child's education and how they like s- stemmed from today which is yeah exactly like such a foundation like a foundation of such a young age is so critical and you can really see how that plays out so yeah hopefully they'll change for the better in the future for sure I totally believe that yeah <laughs> but anyway if you do want to check out um Judy from Diversify Your Narrative um, as she said, she we will have a link in our description, basically with all the BIPOC authors that she recommended, and all the like cards and stuff that you can see for the petitions. And we are so excited because that's definitely something I'm going to do after this for sure. Yes, definitely check her out. Yeah, their work is so amazing and important. I definitely think so too. Well, mm-hmm. it was awesome to um, talk about this. Yeah, same here. Mm -hmm. Really enjoyed it. Yeah. Okay, I'll see you (laughs) next time. Yeah. Want more of Dear Asian Girl? You can find us everywhere on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Anchor. We're on everything. Can't get enough? Subscribe, follow, rate, review to get all the updates and the latest on DAG. Let us know your feedback and what we can do to improve. Want to be a part of the podcast or Dear Asian Youth? Go on DearAsianYouth.org and click Contact to be a part of the DAG and Day Team. We'd love to have more hosts. We have our own Instagram. Follow us at DearAsianGirl to receive updates on all the latest episodes and fun fact about the hosts. We'd love for you to reach out. DAG, Dear Asian Girl, 
a podcast dedicated to uplift and share Asian girl stories everywhere. For the Asian girl, by the Asian girl. Logo by Kristen Huynh, produced and edited by Genesis, and produced on Anchor. Thank you.